Well, good day and blessings to everyone, and um, God's peace be with you. Talking about authenticity, a man was dying of cancer, and he pulled together his three closest friends, and one, he said, I want to make sure you are my friends. So he gave him each $10,000 and said, at the time of my death, I want you to place it into my coffin to show that you're my friends, and that you can be trustworthy. Sort of an odd example, but he did that. The first friend was a doctor, and when the time of his death and the funeral came, the doctor came up and put in $7,000 and left a note and said, listen, I just had some bills I couldn't pay. I only put in $7,000, but you're my good friend. I think you'd understand. Next person was a businessman, and the businessman said, well, I had a lot of extra bills. We had some unforeseen circumstances, and my dear friend, I can only return to you $5,000. So forgive me, here's $5,000 with a little note he put in it. And the man's casket. And finally, the lawyer came. And the lawyer said, well, I'm ashamed of both of you because I kept my word. I wrote him a personal check for $10,000, and he got the whole amount back in that check. Well, anyways, so much for authenticity. Do you believe everything you watch on the news, reading the papers, glance on the advertisements, seeing TV and the posts and Facebook and social media? Do you believe all of it? You sometimes question what you see and what you hear and what you read. And sometimes we find out that it's very true and sometimes we find out it's not. But either way, you and I were constantly bombarded with information and we're not sure exactly who or what to trust. And we watch the world around us and I think we could say this, we become quite cynical, most institutions, people, organizations, and groups. That's one of the reasons why I believe that church attendance is declining because people are just becoming more and more cynical about organizations and groups and their hypocrisies. Um, I think you've heard this joke before. How can you tell when a politician's lying? There's a 100% uh, foolproof way you can tell if a politician's lying to you. Does anyone know the answer? Well, then it would be their lips are moving. So you and I, we, we live in a world where we've come to sort of doubt or are skeptical or cynical about what anyone says anywhere. And it's hard sometimes for us to believe there's authenticity in this world from what we see. There is one organization in which everything is authentic. There's no replicas, restructures, or knockoffs. Um, that one place is actually, it's a number of free museums. It's located in Washington, D.C. in their mall area, and it's called the Smithsonian Institution, and there to reflect the American experience and American history. And everything there is authentic and real. If you haven't been there, please take the time to go there. It's really a worthwhile visit. There's things that you can see there, and everything's 100% authentic. There is a real moon rock, and you get to go there. I think it's a space and science Space and Flight Museum, the most popular museum in the world. You get to touch it. And there is the actual R2-D2 costume. There's also Bill, Sachs, Bill Clinton's saxophone, um, and you can see that. Now, there's a couple pairs of Dorothy's slippers. There's just not one that she wore, but one of her authentic pairs are there, as well as a real Hope Diamond, worth so much money, so many carrots. But everything you see there in a variety of their museums is authentic. Nothing can go there unless it's authentic or real. So you can see such treasures as a star-spangled banner. Yes, the one that flew over the port in Baltimore, in which our national anthem was um, designed. There's a real spirit of St. Louis. The actual plane is there. Once again, everything's authentic there. Nothing is a knockoff. Teddy Roosevelt's actual teddy bear, the real Gettysburg Address, that short message, 
That's so infamous and powerful. And then there is the mask of the Lone Ranger. Everything at, everything at the Smithsonian is authentic, and there's a lot more that could be shared, but just some fun, interesting things about there. Everything's authentic. And so when Jesus began his ministry and he was calling his disciples, he saw a person by the name of Nathaniel, and um, he was approaching him, and, and Jesus saw Nathaniel's heart. And he said, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Nathaniel is a sinner like you and I, but he genuinely read the Bible and was interested in who the actual Messiah would be. He didn't have any inner motives or agendas to be in church or wanting to know God, not because I was dragged here, I'm trying to impress somebody else, or I'm trying to look good, or maybe it's out of guilt. But for Nathaniel, there was nothing false, not because he wasn't a sinner, but in his heart he read the Scripture that he might find the real Messiah. His motivations were pure. There was nothing hypocritical about it. He didn't have any hidden agendas or motives, and God saw that, and God praised him. And Nathaniel, the sinner and saint like you and I, said, in faith, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. He is authentic, not because he's not a sinner. He's authentic because in his heart, he came to seek, to worship, and to know the real Jesus. He was able to pull away the falsehood and the hypocrisy around him. So talking about hypocrisy, I'm talking about authenticity, I'm sorry, for us, to whom the word of God fell into our dark soil, that goes back to last week's parable. Remember, God sows out the seed of his word, and it falls, and for some it falls on good dark soil, and they believe, who heard and believed, who confess with their lips and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. We are the authentic church. The authentic church is not made up of nice people and good people who don't sin, but the authentic church are those people who know they're sinners and Jesus died and rose for them. That is the authentic church, those who receive the word in a dark soil, they're believing in repentant hearts, and they believed. Now, today's sermon is really a last week's parable, sort of the sequel. It's sort of the second part of the movie. You know, Back to the Future 2, or maybe Ghostbusters 2, or Godfather 2. This is sort of part two of the parable of the sower of the seeds. So the sower of the seeds went out, some fell on good soil, and it grew. Now, this is part two. So follow along, please. The parable of the weeds is where the seed of God's word makes a church, but at night the enemy throws in weeds to ruin the church, and we're tempted to rip out the weed, but God says wait. So in this parable, once again, what's a parable? A parable isn't nice stories for nice children by a nice teacher in a nice classroom. It's just really sort of a nice thing. A parable many times condemns and it causes chastisement of sin, and it points out truth. So in this parable, while God throws out good seed that grows, the enemy comes at night and he throws out weeds that interfere. And it's sometimes we're tempted to, why don't we just rip out the weeds as they appear with the good soil, with good seed, the wheat? But God says, wait about that. Now let me explain this in a different way. A Lutheran understanding of this is there's uh, really two churches. The one is a visible church. Those who confess saving faith, and among them are real hypocrites. So the visible church are people on our church roster. The visible church might be those who come to worship weekly, those who appear at church and sit in the pews who partake in the Lord's Supper. The visible church are those who say that they are believers. And by the way, it's only what we can see. But among the visible church, there are weeds. There are people who really don't believe. 
See, a definition of a hypocrite isn't someone who says one thing and does another because that's all of us. So let's just be really honest. Somebody once said, I refuse to go to church because the church is filled with hypocrites, and I say there's always room for one more. If you want to find a place without a hypocrite, go dig a hole and climb in it, but you will still be with one. So the visible church are those we see in church. They belong to the roster, but among them are people who say they believe and they don't. I'm here to keep mom and dad happy. I'm here to keep my spouse happy. I'm here because of better business contacts. I'm here out of guilt or maybe just used to it. That's a visible church. Now, the invisible church is a visible church. Those who confess saving faith are known only by God. So the invisible church are the true believers. There's only one person who knows that, and that is God Almighty himself. Only God can look into the heart and see who believes and who doesn't. The invisible church is the church that you'll see in heaven. And yes, it will be composed by a large part of the visible church. So the visible church you see in the invisible church are the visible church who are true believers that only God knows. So it's like this. The visible church could be the wheat with some weeds, and the invisible church is only wheat known by God. Okay? So is your faith real? Because you and I, we live this life out with constant evil. We live this life among people who cheat and are prejudiced and who don't care for truth, and we're surrounded by evil and social distress and anxiety, and even right now we know it. We are living during a pandemic. Even what's happening today is evidence of that. And we also live with those who pretend to be believers, those who belong or say they belong to the church, but they might not have the same agenda as God and God's disciple. So you and I in this world, we are weeds that grows in a field, and among us are weeds. Martin Luther once said, that God sows out good seed and plants a wonderful church, and then the devil sets up shop next door with enthusiasts and all sorts of people who have distorted the truth. So Matthew's gospel is really a constant reminder of the coexistence of believers among unbelievers and evil. Matthew's gospel, the entire book of Matthew, is about the visible and the invisible church alongside each other. It's really a gospel about the wheat and the weed that are together much. And God says he knows the difference. In Matthew 7, we hear there are trees that bear fruit that are good, and there are barren trees. Those are not the believers. They bear no fruit. In Matthew 7, we hear about a great haw fish in the net, and someone separates it, a wise fisherman. There's good fish, bad fish. Good fish believe, bad fish don't. In Matthew, we also hear about two sons. One who said he wouldn't work and changed his mind and went to work, and one said he would work but didn't work. So once again, there's a separation there. Matthew, we also hear about those dressed with garments. Apparently, we get to heaven, we need to be robed with Christ's righteousness, given to us by faith and in baptism. Unbelievers will not have this garment on Judgment Day. They will not be properly dressed to come into the wedding feast. So once again, there's that coexistence of weed and wheat, good and bad. Then also, Matthew, we hear about wise maidens. They had oil, and foolish maidens didn't. We also hear about, in Matthew, that there's sheep who believe, the invisible church, and the visible church who believes, and there's goats who don't believe. And finally, going back to today's parable, 
In God's church, there is wheat and weeds. And you and I, we live our life constantly with evil, or even among people who don't believe among us. And so, back to the Lutheran question, what does this mean for us? For we are believers who confess our sin, who repent, who know we're baptized, who believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. For us who know Jesus died and rose for us, for us we know the certainty of the blessings of baptism, for us who are blessed by the Lord's Supper, for us who know we're forgiven, we confess we're the real church. What else does this mean for us? Well, I'm going to ask that you belong to both a visible and invisible church and go ahead and take a look at the church. And that was actually done before I knew what was happening this weekend. Um, there are some very wise pastors and priests who said, well, since you can't be with us, we'll put you there. Belong to the visible church. Belong to the church and the organization. Say, yes, I belong to a church. Not that I go to church. Yes, that's important. But I belong to a family of believers. I have ownership. I own it. I belong there. Belong to the visible church that is seen by others. And belong to the invisible church. Be a true believer. God knows it. Be a person who believes who confesses with their lips and believes in their heart and speaks from their tongue, belong to both a visible and invisible church. It's really easy to belong to the visible church and just say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer when I really don't. It's a struggle to belong to the invisible church one's entire life. You see, on Judgment Day, God will separate the wheat from the weeds. He'll separate the believers from the unbelievers and evil, he'll separate the good fish from the bad fish, the wise manes from the bad manes, the tree that are fruitful and the trees that are barren. You get the idea. We know that day is coming. God will separate the visible, invisible church with those who are just part of the visible church and unbelieve. Um, what do I mean when I say cancel culture? So the church is a part of cancel culture. Now this, this is somewhat controversial, but I think you'll pick up what I mean. Cancel culture is, maybe you said something 10, 15 years ago I disagree with. Maybe you wrote or said something that I really don't care for. Uh, maybe you really struggle with some things. And the way that cancel culture deals with it is that you just get ignored. You get put in the dump heat. You get put on the naughty list and you're no good for nothing for anyone anymore. The cancel culture is you don't agree with me and you did something I didn't like and now you're not worth anything. Uh, we'll just ignore you. I'll tear you down. I'll remove you. I'll, I'll smear you. I want nothing to do with you. That's part of the cancel culture. But the church isn't part of the cancel culture. Why? Because God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, because every day is a day that the door is open. God doesn't participate in the cancel culture. So a person who comes to church might not believe God doesn't cancel them out and say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with you. The door is always open. For those who question their faith, God doesn't cancel them out. For those who said something against the faith 12 years ago, God doesn't cancel them out. The door of mercy and grace is always open. He hears all prayers. Jesus sinners doth receive you and me. So we're not part of the cancel culture. God doesn't go and start ripping up the weeds and pull up some wheat with it. He's not. His mercy is new every day for those who believe. What a blessing that is from Christ to be authentic by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord, forgive me. Authentic, real. Yes, I'm a sinner. My life's messed up, but Jesus died for me. Authentic and real. Yes, I don't live a perfect life, but Jesus died for me. 
be authentic and real. So how about this for a closing thought? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And all God's people say, Amen.